0: Welcome to the Notion Club Podcast. I'm Justin Hall, and joining me is Jeremy O'Brien. Jeremy is many things. He is a baritone with stunning range of ability. He's one of the most astonishingly gifted voice actors I've encountered. He is a fitness guru and personal trainer, and he's also an aspiring theologian, and so today we could quite literally talk about anything. But perhaps the greatest of all his many gifts is his powerful and unignorable gift of leadership. Jeremy is a leader of leaders, a leader of men, probably the closest thing anyone can come to being a real modern-day knight. He embodies a warrior spirit in pursuit of virtue, the kind of virtues that are rare to be found anywhere in our culture, let alone in one person. Virtues like unabashed courage and unceasing generosity. It is the sign of a terminally sick society that grants credibility to worthless credentials given by corrupted institutions of education that cannot even live up to the word intellectual. It's the sign of a long-dead society in which people do not give a second thought to virtue. In such a society, we look to men of real virtue to lead in the fight against the long defeat, the fight to preserve something of goodness and truth. Today, Jeremy and I will be talking about one of the virtues that has become central in our lives in the course of our brotherhood. That is the virtue of fidelity to truth, something we call truth-being, The total embodiment of truth in all aspects of our lives, of our minds, and of our hearts. This is episode 8 of season 2 of The Notion Club. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining the Notion
1: Club for this discussion. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. We're
0: talking about a concept that has been a staple in our
1: hmm. lives,
0: yeah, especially our brotherhood uniquely, which we call truth being, as distinct from merely truth telling. So what can you tell us about truth being?
1: Well, truth being is something that I really appreciated You coming up with I got so excited about it that you coined that because we were talking about the importance of truth and truth telling and what eventually came from that the thing you coined was truth being because it's not enough to just tell the truth you have to embody it Mm -hmm. and it has to basically be your what you stand for it has to be a huge part of your identity and to truth be is more than just to never lie right and
0: and more even than to truth tell
1: yeah it's it's way more and it it comes from within it's a condition of the heart Mm -hmm. and where it came from is as we strived together to discover what it it really meant to be brothers and what it truly meant to be brothers in christ Mm -hmm. and what we were undergoing what journey we were about to undergo because we knew that we were, that's what we were doing. We were embarking on a journey that was more important than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know exactly what that would entail, but we were searching for the answer. And, and ultimately we're seeking after Christ mm-hmm. and we want to embody Christ. And that's what Christ is, is truth. So in order to be like Christ and to have him as your identity, what you're taking on as your identity is truth. Right. So you are, you are truth. You stand for truth.
0: I think if I remember, I think this began in fall of 2018. The circumstances of our lives were very uncertain. Hmm. Precarious, I would say. Not in some sense, not in the sense of providence, but in the sense of our own perceptions. Part of, you know, our pursuit of brotherhood was how can we manifest ourselves in the, in the truest way? Because, we, I mean, I at least remember I, I needed something tangible to hold on to. That was something that would remain true no matter the circumstance. Hmm. And I think we found that in brotherhood. Brotherhood was something, and the truth that we manifested to each other yeah. was something that wouldn't waver hmm. like, no matter what happened that was something that characterized our conversations our letters and and so we almost came to this agreement almost a vow to always speak the truth to never say anything that wasn't the truth and to embody the truth right maybe i could read that letter
1: yeah that would be it would be nostalgic
0: i think if i remember like there were th- i think 3 facets to this conversation about truth the first was simply truth itself, manifesting truth, hmm. and hopefully we can delve more into what that actually means. The second was the uncanny nature of providence, hmm. yeah. how how perfectly things align, and you know our whole shtick about non coincidences and all right. of that. Yeah, and then the third was the enemy. Yeah, <laughs> the work of the enemy, and in corrupting, perverting, we were very aware and alert to the fact that he would try to tear the brotherhood apart. Yeah, and he he has been. We were right. So this is September of 2019. I write, I'm glad to have been able to have a rather spontaneous video chat this past Saturday. I can't remember quite what prompted me to ask in the first place, but it's obvious our conversation was providential. One of these days, I'm going to stop being surprised at how God perfectly ordains our lives. It's not as if I don't know he does, but seeing it unfold as something different altogether, especially since he seems to always throw in a touch of divine humor along with it to poke fun at my doubt and remind me of the absurdity of the notion that reality could be otherwise. I also take such coincidings to be his affirmation of our efforts We are on the right track, to say the least, and as we've both talked about, the enemy does not like it a bit. I suspect the more we grow, the further we progress, the more brutal his attacks will be. But as you wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us? And like I told Stephen recently, we are not being good men if we are not, by our fellowship and by our actions, daring the enemy to do his worst. But if we are going to undertake such recklessness, and I think we should because we don't have time to waste being too careful, we will have to commit ourselves, body and soul, to the ideals we've discussed. I think the most important of them is truth-telling, because truth-telling is how we manifest ourselves to the world, how we orient ourselves to reality and to God. Actually, it's more like truth-being. Because in order to accomplish absolute truth-telling, we must embody truth and be sincere in all things and in all ways and to all people. And like you said, if we're going to commit to the truth, we have to develop a thick skin. And more than that, we have to want to be told the truth, even if it's hard, especially if it's hard. So that's Mm. the first half of this letter.
1: Something that you said... Uh, toward in the middle there was something of the nature of we don't have time. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't have time to be careful. And I've been reading First Samuel, and something that reminds me of is Jonathan mm-hmm. and the bravery and the courage that he always had and how true he always was in every circumstance. If it was standing up to his father or if it was pursuing the enemy against impossible odds Mm -hmm. just because of his faith in the Lord. The truth that he embodied was the reason for that. And he he had the faith, a correct understanding of truth, Mm -hmm. and that he knew that God stood with them. Um, And so even it it was just him and his armor bearer that climbed the mountain. And uh, and they ended up destroying the (laughs) Philistines, the the entire camp, Mm -hmm. and sent them into dismay because... He knew what the truth was. right, And he embodied that to the degree to have the courage to go up, to scale that mountain, even though it was just he and his armor bearer right. against thousands, more than that maybe. One against the crowd.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we can, we can talk about embodying the truth. We can talk about telling the truth. But what does that actually mean? Like, what is truth? And what does it mean that we embody it or align ourselves
1: with it or tell it? What does it mean to truth be mm-hmm. <laughs> to embody truth and to to have that as your identity mm-hmm. is to have that correct calculation. It's to understand that it is the truth that God is truth mm-hmm. and that there is no other truth other than God, and to have your identity in him is to embody truth so it's a um, it's a submitting of ourselves to something outside of ourselves right right something greater than ourselves mm-hmm. and it's and, and we don't have the ability to do it but God can give that to us He can he can help us embody himself mm-hmm. and he gives us the ability to do that
0: and I, I mean I think one of the primary means of giving that to us is through fellowship mm. and through brotherhood and the accountability you know, yeah. I mean, we probably, I, I would say there was a year where we pursued this pretty radically and we would text each other basically every day saying, did you fall short of this? Did you <laughs> tell a lie? Did you, have you only spoken the truth? Yeah. Keeping each other accountable. Yeah. And it takes that kind of persistence. So I, I think one place to begin with truth being is in a negative sense, uh, in the sense of, first of all not telling lies or hmm. not affirming lies because it's probably a bit much to leap from where most people are where we certainly are most of the time to you know a fully positive always speaking the truth you know every sentence being a proclamation of the truth because in the way that we conduct our lives on a daily basis we affirm so many lies Hmm. either in complacency, either because we're not aware, uh, maybe because we don't really care that much, hmm. you know? Like, how often are we around people, either friends, coworkers, or in the public sphere? Hmm. And we know we do this, that, you know, somebody will say something and we know in our hearts, in our conscience, that we don't really agree with it. But hmm. we either kind of nod our heads... Or we don't say anything maybe we even agree in the moment <sighs> yeah even though everything in our mind is saying no i don't agree i don't even like this but we we manifest that yeah. falsehood <sighs> part of that falsehood is being false to ourselves being false to our own conscience you know and i think that's that's a great place to begin hmm. you have to do at least that you have to stop affirming lies right. and stop going against your conscience. Yeah, And so if the only thing you do in the first place is to resolve and determine yeah. not to affirm lies and never to go against your conscience, like do this for a day, like, spend a day as, a, as an experiment, spend a day being absolutely aware of every little thing that your conscience reacts to when you talk to somebody and do not affirm anything that you think is false or even a little bit false. <laughs> Do not manifest positivity when you don't like a situation. Right. Don't do anything against your conscience. Don't affirm lies in that sense. Yeah. It's going to be the most difficult thing that you've ever done. Yeah. And this isn't even speaking truth. This is simply not affirming lies. Like this is the most basic thing that you can do. Yeah. And I think we have a society that is structured around lies. Our entire social life is predicated on the necessity of affirming lies mm. and most of our friendships are based on these little <clears throat> affirmations right
1: the strength of the friendship is relies on affirming that person right or the that person is or rather you.
0: the 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 preservation of the shallowness of the friendship yeah. you know because yeah. let's be honest if you have a friendship and you can't speak deep truth to each other <laughs> i mean what, what kind of friendship is that
1: yeah you know the real test of an actual friendship these days could be that if, if you had a conversation with one of your quote-unquote friends mm-hmm. and you stood there while that person was talking and didn't nod your head once right if that friendship lasts <laughs> right then, then maybe that's a right yeah. a, a deeper friendship than what most people have what most people have yeah yeah
0: well maybe let's explore that a bit I mean what do you think of this reality? Of affirming lies because it's it's all around us. It's what we know. You know, it's the water that we swim in. Yeah,
1: we we're surviving based on a distraction from the truth. Where it gets dangerous, what we try to avoid, and where all the peril is, is in truth. Mm-hmm. And at all costs, we have to distract ourselves from what we really believe. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, then what we're faced with is having to confess to ourselves. It, it, it is life changing if you end up confessing to yourself what you truly believe mm-hmm. and and then have the courage to stand for that in uh, a public setting then it's transformative your friends all of your friends will change and you won't have any of the same friends yeah um just because they're uncomfortable with you <laughs> and, yeah I mean goodness or, God forbid that we should be uncomfy yeah that that's <laughs> it so much relies on comfort right and if like the greatest courage these days is, or I guess the first step towards courage that we need to take in our culture is, is to just be uncomfortable, to be mm-hmm. willing to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. because I think people will commit the greatest atrocities and sins. They will betray anyone mm-hmm. just so they can remain comfortable, ultimately. And and right. that and what, what that, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. You just have to agree with everything. Mm -hmm. and go along with everything nod your head everywhere you go smile at people and at all costs make sure that no one is uncomfortable
0: right well and you know the the thing about this is we are talking about ultimate comfort like that's what we want ultimate comfort ultimate peace Mm -hmm. theologically you could put that as the rest of christ entering into that rest Mm -hmm. well the way that rest was established was a bloody crucifixion right you know, so, you know, there, there's a principle that I remind myself of a lot, which is do not sacrifice long-term joy for short-term pleasure. Yeah. Because pretty much every short-term pleasure comes at the expense of long-term joy. If you want that long-term joy, you have to forego the short-term pleasure. Right. I mean, another Latin phrase translates, if you want peace, prepare for war. <sighs> Peace is something you have to fight for. You have to fight to establish. Hmm. And then once you have peace, you have to fight to preserve it. Hmm. I mean, there's no realm of reality in which you don't have to fight. And you don't have to fight against corruption and fight against the lies that try to seep in. And I think the insidious thing is that we have found short-term comfort and complacency within lies. The
1: pillow of lies. Yeah. You know. And, and laying on that pillow... We're literally blind to Mm -hmm. long-term joy, right? We can't even see it. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so how are we going to pursue it? If we can't see it, we don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm. All we're capable of doing is pursuing short-term joy. Right? So I guess in my early twenties, I would experience this freakish thing that always put me into panic mode. And I didn't know what it was. It was an outside source. Mm -hmm. And it would be every two years, that it would happen, maybe three years. And I would just suddenly, my heart would start racing. And I just had this awareness that something was coming. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. And it would always freak me out. And it usually ended up in some sort of breakup or some sort of shallow life change that didn't mean anything back then. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know at the time was that was foreshadowing my future with the Lord my heart transformation to no longer serve myself but to turn to the lord and serve him instead and so i would create short-term joy to distract myself from those things and i actually decided at the time that what that panic mode was it was just kind of a spiritual awareness of -hmm. something that was about to happen like that week Mm -hmm. it was always about the short term Mm -hmm. and you know i would have a job change or like I said, I would have a breakup, or uh, I would buy a car or something like that. And I, <laughs> and I thought, well, that's that's it. That is just this kind of spiritual awareness that this thing is coming, this material thing. There is a, a life change, and it was for my good. It was to further me towards this vague goal that I had. Mm. But it didn't mean anything. Uh, there's such vagueness when you're To to your whole life when you're blind Mm. to meaning and to truth and you don't have any truth or meaning in your life And you're just living in a constant state of blind wandering and appeasing yourself and appeasing others around you So I I would be in these relationships. I would my identity was in relationships. And that's how I found my satisfaction and meaning in my life Mm -hmm. was in another person and if I could attach myself to someone that created what I guess at the time felt like truth It felt like meaning Mm. and so there would be this person in your life and The future was always just a fog. You didn't know what this person ultimately Meant to you Mm -hmm. or why you were with them You just knew that this is what people do they get in relationships (laughs) and so that's the only truth that I had through my 20s and the funny thing is is there there's no reason actually to be with this person and there's no reason for them to be with you, really, or to stay with you. You know, I I uh, believe I got uh, you know cheated on. I have no idea, really. But there's there is no reason for that person not to cheat on me because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what kind of moral ground, you know? Why wouldn't they cheat on me mm-hmm. unless there was some sort of moral standard to live by? That was outside yourself. That was outside myself. And to but which it, you were submitting to
0: in a right. spirit of truth, being.
1: But but you um, you but I hoped they wouldn't it was always my hope that they would stay with me or be true to me mm-hmm. but you know living that life there was no there was no actual reason to live for that standard but it was almost this this unexplained understanding that that's what you know we were hoping for is that that wouldn't happen bad things like that wouldn't happen
0: so in other words you were not you were not anchored in a truth that was outside yourself that was acting as as your true north as your compass, right?
1: Yeah. I didn't have a direction Mm -hmm. and there's no way out. Right. You're in this spiral and you're uh, living a life, walking in circles in this way. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, you can spend a a lifetime in that condition and you can be in your last years and think the same things that you thought when you were 20.
0: Mm -hmm. In this discussion, you know, we're talking about truth, but we're not Defining a particular philosophical stance toward truth, and there are there are lots of philosophical stances. There are theories of truth, like the coherence theory, correspondence theory. There are attitudes toward truth um, that recognize objective truth. Um, there are attitudes that take a very relativistic, um, subjective stance, and you know say that truth is purely a matter of perception. Obviously, you know we're making an assumption that there is such a thing as an objective truth. I, I, I don't think now is exactly the time to delve into the philosophical arguments about mm. that, except that one thing about understanding philosophy, and one thing that is very helpful, you know, sometimes, most of the time, we don't understand the ideas that possess us. You now, if we're talking about what is true, how to embody truth, Part of the problem is we are infested by ideas that we have no idea where they came from. We don't mm. even give them a thought. Mm. We're just going along with them because that's how we've been indoctrinated. Mm. And we don't, give a, we don't give a thought to the history of ideas. Often, you know, if you look to the history of philosophy, you can point to an idea that's in your head, that's like a parasite and say, wait a second, that idea was actually more or less invented in the 19th century. Why do I think that, you know, like I know what guy came up with this idea or popularized this idea. Why am I, you know, why do I think this is just the nature of reality? Mm. What you're describing is actually a philosophy called emotivism. And that became popular at the turn of the century, beginning of the 20th century. There are lots of great books about it. But I mean, essentially, you know, it's stemming from. The 19th century irrational philosophies and basically it, it this is highly reductive but i mean the way that it's trickled down and, and infested our culture is basically the way you determine reality is through your emotions your emotional state mm. and so you determine what is real based on what you're feeling i mean this has absolutely infested the church for us our apprehension of god is an emotional thing mm. true worship is emotional right if you're not if you're not feeling worshipful, it's not real worship, right, or you know when we when you when Christians try to pray, it's like they're praying for forgiveness, and the way they're gauging whether they're forgiven is how forgiven they feel, right like, I'm trying to feel forgiven yeah. or if they're if they're repenting of something, it's like the repentance is only so effective in proportion to how repentful they feel, yeah you know
1: how many tears they shed
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like actually no there are objective truths that have nothing to do with what i'm feeling yeah i you know if you are a christian and you go on a sunday morning and you're worshiping god you're praising his attributes you may not feel a, th- a thing in proportion to the glory of god in fact i can guarantee that you don't hmm. appropriately but all of the attributes of god are still true mm-hmm. you can still affirm them you can still push your heart to affirm them in truth right you know and that's Ultimately, what it means to worship God and spirit and truth, right, affirming the attributes of God and submitting yourselves to them, right, you know, regardless of how you feel because of what you ate that morning, or what you didn't eat, or how well you slept, or, you know, if if you're talking about the chemical state of your brain, that doesn't necessarily correlate to the nature of reality. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're following the compass of your, of your feelings as though this is going to lead, guide you through reality and show you what's real, you're going to be a prodigal son. Hmm. In fact, that is the, the parable of the prodigal son. Hmm. And only until he remembered, and we, uh, we referenced this in the last episode about technology, only when he remembered the substance of his father's house, the goodness and truth and reality of his father's house, hmm. did he wake up from his dream And Come back to what was real, right? But that is, you know, he has to submit to his father (laughs) He has to submit to something outside himself, (laughs)
1: right? Well, maybe I was gonna bring up Moses climbing Mount Sinai to meet God at the top Mm -hmm. and Bring down the tablets with the commandments Mm -hmm. and when he found the people worshipping the golden calf, right? uh, He punished them by having them break down the calf and mix it with the water And they had to drink the golden calf as Mm -hmm. punishment. And the people lamented and from their they repented. But um, one thing that is interesting to note is that they continued to return to the same sins. Right. Every time. And there's always a question, you know, when when they repented, you know, who among them were genuinely sorrowful that they had sinned against their Lord um, uh, with all that God had done for them? And who among them were just sad and repented because they got caught and they just, they were in trouble and maybe they were repenting and maybe they were sad, but we're we're so infested with pride that, and, and we're so continually misleading ourselves with our own emotions that sometimes we're just sad and repenting because we're sad and repenting. Right and that makes us sad you know woe is me Mm -hmm. i'm sad and look at me i'm I'm pitiful and that causes a person to feel doubly repentant right and sad yeah and it's really just because they feel sorry for themselves but they, they don't give a lick about God. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that that's interesting. So, you
0: know, talking about different philosophical stances, there comes a point, though, where certain, you know, talking about our disposition to reality, our perception of truth, there is um, one philosophical outlook that I do not inhabit myself, but there are aspects of it that are true. Pragmatism, which is basically an american grown philosophy from the 19th century um so it's it's another one of those where you can point to it and say yeah this theory came from (laughs) came from here Hmm. i mean not to commit the genetic fallacy but uh, just to say i mean we we know where these things come from and it's not like they grow organically out of this fabric of reality you know these are man-made notions right but it, I mean, it's simply the observation that you can, ha- I mean, you can perfectly take any a purely relativistic stance, subjective stance toward reality and say, reality is simply how I per- perceive it or feel it or whatever. There comes a point, though, where you're going to bump up against reality and you're going to be proven wrong in a real way. Mm. I mean, if, if you think that you can jump off a five story building, you know, you can perfectly entertain that theory until you actually jump off and die you know and what pragmatism says is true is that which is effective effective towards some end the the value of truth is in the value of its effectiveness and that i mean that's a pernicious idea to some extent but there is a reality there that yeah there is an external reality that we have to submit to and it doesn't conform to how we're feeling or how we want things to be right and you know i think one of the things that we try to maintain is this complacent comfort you know Mm. this peace right and unfortunately comfort in the christian realm is substituted for peace we want to maintain the peace that's such a godly thing isn't it you know being at peace with all men mm. so you know why would we want conflict why would we want to be confrontational because you know we need to be at peace with our brothers and sisters i mean you know, there's this new book live not by lies by rod Dreher, which is based on the essay by solzhenitsyn mm. Uh, live not by lies, which in that essay he's talking about this bare minimum of don't tell lies, don't affirm lies, don't do anything that affirms lies. And if that's all you do, that is resistance enough. Right. So in the first chapter of the book, Dreher talks about the practice of Ketman, <sighs> which is the Persian word for uh, the practice of maintaining an outward appearance, specifically uh, of Islamic orthodoxy, you know, while inwardly dissenting it. And the the point is we have taken on this practice of ketman in our own societies, both toward our culture, both in our own tiny little social spheres. We might dissent inwardly, but we're going to outwardly conform. We're going to be affirming. Or, you know, if somebody's doing something that we disapprove of, we're not going to say anything. We're just going to be mute. We're not going to manifest our dissent. We're not going to speak the truth of our conscience, the truth of what we know. And this was the strategy of um, Dreyer writes, Ketman was the strategy of everyone who was not a true believer in communism, the Soviet Union. Um, it was the strategy they had to adopt to stay out of trouble. And he goes on to say that Ketman is worse than hypocrisy, because living by it all the time corrupts your character and ultimately everything in society. Hmm. So you think you might be able to keep the peace and get away with it and you know, maintain this false stability and comfort. Mm. You know, you're willing to do this out, outward show of approval because you want approval, you want to maintain the peace, all of that. It corrupts you. Yeah. It changes you. You become a different person. Mm. And that's why it's so important to be truth, to truth be. Right. Because not only are you committing treason against the truth, ultimately mm. against God, mm. treason against everyone that counts on you. You're committing treason against yourself yeah because you are living a lie there's a reality in which you are what other people perceive you to be right. i mean it, it doesn't matter what you think you are in some sense the way you manifest you manifest yourself the way you act the way others perceive you that's who you are at least in their eyes yeah. effectively that's the truth right and and so in order to be the most true to yourself and you know that's that's a nebulous phrase from our culture, but <laughs> yeah. but, in a, but in a real sense, true to your conscience, you, you cannot do this. You cannot let yourself be corrupted by the practice of Katman, by being just OK and going with the flow of everything around you.
1: So why, why do people do that? Is it, a, is it just a courage problem?: that's, Oh, I that's... think
0: it's utterly <clears throat> craven. Mm. Like it's, it's contemptible cowardice. Hmm. but it, but it so it is a courage problem but it's also a love of comfort hmm. ultimately a love of self it's a an unwillingness to submit to anything outside themselves ultimately an unwillingness to submit to god yeah every time you do this you commit treason like yeah. that's simply the reality right you know and it's it's not to say that and it's important it's not to say that you have to be confrontational all the time or disputatious yeah all the time or causing conflicts And and I think partly people don't do this because they don't want to be that guy, you know, Mm. that guy who's always causing some kind of conflict or, you know, for the sake of it. Right. But it ought to be a regular part of your relationships with other people. Yeah. Like one of my now very close friends is Catholic and we have lots of, you know, philosophical, literary, artistic conversations. But, you know, we disagree vehemently. Hmm. And in, in this Catholic versus Protestant debate, right, you know, and we disagree vehemently about the enlightenment, we disagree about the Reformation, I see Martin Luther as a hero, you know, right. and there have been times where we have absolutely brawled over this stuff, huh. you know, and in some ways, perhaps even at risk of the friendship itself, mm. understanding that these are truths that we hold absolutely precious. And we can understand how we each value what we've come to believe to be true. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that what I believe is true right. in this regard. So is he. That doesn't mean that we're both right. We can't be. Could be both wrong. <laughs> or one of us could be right. right. That's the only option. Or both of us could be right in varying degrees. But, you know, the only way we could have a real friendship is if that is actually a regular facet of our friendship yeah if we come to this point and we duke it out because we care for each other in a real way right i mean if we came to this and i was like oh yeah you know you do you like
1: (laughs) imagine if our (laughs) men's group is like that
0: well i know i mean it's (laughs) that would mean i wouldn't care a shred for him not ultimately right it would mean that i care about what i can get from him which is this comfort loving kind of affirmation
1: yeah and um one thing that you brought up earlier was how nothing happens by accident and God puts these things purposefully in our lives for his purposes. Mm-hmm. And nothing nothing is random or by chance. It's all for no a No Maverick molecules. No Maverick <laughs> molecules. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the mind-blowing things that happened to me when I was first saved. And you see, I had these friends from the past. I I might know this brother from you know when I was sixteen, mm-hmm. or this brother from when I was twenty-three in college, um, and collectively through my life, I had met all of these guys that were important staples in my life, and I and I hadn't spent much time with them mm-hmm. or or much time developing that friendship or or um, you know even knowing that I should. But when I was saved, somehow some people would say randomly or just by happenstance. <laughs> mm-hmm. A non-coincidence. By non-coincidence, my brother and I and another brother were at a pizza restaurant. And we just decided that one thing that we don't do in our culture is meet as men Mm -hmm. specifically Mm -hmm. or meet as women specifically. We don't have men's and women's groups. Everything has to be mixed now. Because why would you only have a group for men? Why would you that's exclude? To- that's come on, that's toxic, dude. It's, it's, it's super toxic. It's toxic masculinity. <laughs> but that—that's something that we've adopted. You know, even some of the men in our men's group had considered that. Mm-hmm. In the first few weeks, right, they thought, what is the real purpose of this you know what 's the benefit of men meeting with men right um aren't to we... be men <laughs> yeah to be men and right. to encourage one another in yep. actual masculinity mm-hmm. um, and that's <clears throat> i mean that 's nefarious dude like yeah, that's uh, it, it is and it was that 's
0: patriarchal it 's tyrannical yeah it's like it, so bigoted uh, yeah. like you 're a man and you want to be a man what 's <laughs> wrong with you oh what 's wrong with you you have to ignore that. You know? <laughs> That's, like, that's something we don't talk about. I mean, of course, if you're a man and you want to pursue femininity, that's completely fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that like... <laughs> should be encouraged.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, even are uh, the men in our group struggled with that concept. Mm-hmm. Some of them did. Yep. Uh, and some of the rest of us kind of questioned it even, yep. at least. But at the same time, there was an incredible excitement for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we embarking on? Why is this a thing? And who are these 20 guys in front of me? who are come from supposedly random times in my life right and played these different parts mm-hmm. in growing me mm-hmm. and who still you know want to spend time with me they're excited because I'm telling them that I've been saved mm-hmm. and some of them are saying oh dude you know, you've always been saved <laughs> oh you know you, you can't say that you weren't a Christian back then what do you mean um, you've always known God God has always loved you mm-hmm. and some of them, understood what i meant right and they knew that a transformation had taken place Mm -hmm. but another thing that was transformative to the group was and surprising for a lot of the guys everything was so foreign for the first few weeks was delving into topics that were controversial Mm -hmm. that obviously we were going to disagree on right people classically disagree on these things and if and even if we don't disagree, they're at least controversial. So we're not supposed to talk about them right. anyway. Yep. And, um. Because that would be uncomfy, dude. It would be uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 uh, but the thing is, is that in pursuing those topics and disagreeing about them and pursuing the truth together as brothers, where before we were supposedly this random group of guys mm-hmm. that hardly knew one another, uh, just knew of one another. hmm after two years of still meeting now without fail without fail every <laughs> single week yeah we met yeah um, two and a half years still about. Do. it's two and a half years at this point yeah and at this point there are brothers in our assembly who would die for each other oh, yeah. absolutely like well and,
0: and not not only would they be willing to but they would consider it they, an honor. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. they want to. Right. They can't wait for that. Like day. That would be a really <laughs> efficient way to make sure that their life was worth something.
1: Yeah. And, and so much of that growth came from being uncomfortable together mm-hmm. and pursuing what was true together right. um, at the expense of our comfort every week. Mm-hmm. And we took turns being that guy. Right. Who well, would... <laughs> and,
0: and it's important to say, I mean, it's not like we were... This was some sadomasochistic, like, pursuit of discomfort and pain. <laughs> right. Self-flagellating, <laughs> ascetic nonsense. It wasn't any of that. It was, here's something that is true. We have a responsibility to it. We have a responsibility to be men and lead right. in this manner. Right. If it's uncomfortable, if it's right. even painful, if there's conflict over this, that's what we're called to. Right. Like, what else do you have to live for? Right. Like, you'd rather draw out your life in complacency mm-hmm. and this kind of vapid, vacuous, worthless comfort right. that doesn't give you anything ultimately of ultimate substance. And,
1: and it was only uncomfortable because we had spent years right. enjoying this culture yep. that steers us away from discomfort and teaches us to be Ketmen. And it was the only reason it was uncomfortable. It shouldn't have been uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but just sitting dormant We had been corrupted in that small deadly way right to the point where we Even as brothers getting together were uncomfortable talking mm-hmm. about what we believed mm-hmm. Just things that we believed as as if it were wrong yep. and we had to hide it yep. our beliefs right and and it was a sin against one another <sighs> yeah. if our brother didn't believe the same thing. We were sinning against him just by telling him, letting him know that we, we don't believe that thing. We believe something else. Right. But it's, it had refined the group mm-hmm. over time. And now we are no longer uncomfortable with anything. Part of the group was to have a place to go to be safe and to confess one another's sins to.
0: To be safe in the truest
1: sense. Not yet safe in the truest sense denying ourselves in the right way Mm -hmm. rather than the wrong way. Right. And we've actually confronted each other. Yeah. You know, like
0: confronted each other about very personal things. Yeah. And we want that. Like, why wouldn't you want that? Why, why would you want to continue in the disdain of the people around you?
1: Right. Another thing we mentioned in our letters is that we ought to thirst for the exhortation Mm -hmm. of our brothers. Right. And to, I mean, why wouldn't you want that? if what you truly want the most is refinement to embody truth at the expense of yourself Mm -hmm. then why wouldn't you want to be confronted right because if if your brother knows something you don't about yourself or sees you failing Mm -hmm. then it's eternally valuable to be given that information (laughs) yeah i mean you might not be aware of it yeah but in this culture heaven forbid you know, someone tells you you're wrong about something, right? Or d- doesn't approve or give you the affirmation, right?
0: And it's not even like you want them to tell you so that you can quell their, you know, their false ideas, so that you can go back to this like right. peace-loving kind of comfort yeah. nonsense. It's it's because there's a real truth there, and you need to change,
1: right? You know, and you recognize that, right? Yeah, the way our culture supports one another, the kind of you know false brotherhood that are culture teaches is the very opposite. If you're uncomfortable or if you're suffering in some way, it must be because you're giving too much of yourself or you're sacrificing too much. Mm. Or maybe it's just that you need to be comforted and told that you're not wrong, you're actually right. Yeah. You've been right all along and you're perfect. <laughs> yep. Don't change a thing just to be exactly what you are. And people will even say, God made you this way for a reason Mm -hmm. uh, but really you know you're you're sinning and you're breaking hearts and you're destroying (laughs) people left and right because (laughs) because of your natural state of being a wretch (laughs) (laughs) and you're you're not right and you should change Mm -hmm. god takes you as you are but he doesn't doesn't leave you that way (laughs) he doesn't want you to stay that way he doesn't leave you that way he transforms you yeah
0: so what would you say to somebody who has not thought about living in this way like Maybe they've never even, you know, the idea of truth being has never even occurred to them. Maybe they're so complacent that they've never given thought to the fact that their pursuit of comfort is ever so slowly but surely corrupting their soul.
1: Yeah. I know what it's like to be blind. So if I'm approaching someone who's living in this spiral of blindness, they're sitting in this pool of comfort and they're slowly being consumed by it and corrupted. There's really nothing you can say to change who they are mm-hmm. but something you can say to give them a great hint <laughs> mm-hmm. one one way you can steer them in the right direction is, is actually I think with a, an example that they can probably relate to is in Hollywood movies mm-hmm. because one thing that so many movies teach regardless of the premise or what the aim of the director is or uh, whatever it's about it might be a terrible movie but usually there's a protagonist that lives a boring life (laughs) and something miraculous happens and he embarks on an adventure Mm -hmm. or she embarks on an adventure. There
0: have to be politically
1: correct. (laughs) Can't can't exclude all women. (laughs) But the thing is, is that one thing that everybody knows about in these movies and can relate to is the fact that there's something on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And then there's something more and greater Mm -hmm. that is in store for them. Mm -hmm. As an individual and there's kind of this why me why have I been chosen part in the movie? and there's always that question that comes up and you know, like Harry Potter, you know, he was he was he was the chosen one He was the chosen one and ultimately he's played this incredibly critical part in Saving everyone by the end, Mm -hmm. you know, but you would never think that or he would never think that about himself Mm -hmm. You know From the beginning, Um, but people want to think that about themselves. They want to be the protagonist with something on the horizon. So just maybe ask this person who you're trying to steer in the right direction. Don't you have that feeling every now and then like there's something greater for you Mm -hmm. on the horizon? Or don't you have that desire to live for something greater Mm -hmm. and then have a conversation about how that's actually real? (laughs) (laughs) And actually there is something greater, right? And it is as miraculous as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. And it actually is more miraculous. Actually, when I was a kid, I, I thought it would be great to suddenly be a superhero like you see in the comic books and in these movies. Yep. And all it right. takes is a bite from a spider <laughs> or, to, yeah. or to fall into this pool of radioactive fluid right. solution.
0: Or to get a, a letter from a w- wizarding school. Yeah. I'm still <laughs> waiting for my Hogwarts letter, <laughs> by the way. Yeah,
1: I would love to get a letter. (laughs) But that that actually happened to me, (laughs) and it was the most unexpected thing. And it wasn't when I had reached some all-time low, Mm -hmm. or when I had lost everything in my life. And many testimonies are about that. You know, when they had lost everything, they found the Lord, Mm -hmm. and they realized that everything is to be found in the Lord. Mm -hmm. My testimony was actually the opposite, where I had everything I had ever wanted, and I was the biggest hot shot, and I I, I, was, <laughs> I was going to the gym. Um, I was huge. I had, I had the, all these muscles. I had, <laughs> I had this great job that paid a lot of money. I had this beautiful condo. I would smoke meat every weekend, and I was just living the life. And as I describe these things, I understand them now to be just small, insignificant, almost mm-hmm. life pleasures mm-hmm. in comparison to what I was about to receive but I woke up one morning and realized that as much as I had, I actually had nothing. Mm -hmm. And this came with a, a complete and powerful and just breaking awareness that I had a master and I was now going to serve him. And he, and he was about to change my life and had changed my life already. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was completely breaking. Um, that was essentially, you know, when you get the spider bite, um, or when you're, you fall into the pool of radioactive fluid mm-hmm. and you suddenly become a superhero and you have everything and your right. life means yep. so much and there's infinite value to your life. Mm-hmm. That happened to me when suddenly God had changed my heart and made me his servant. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out what to do. I knew that something had to be done. I knew that I had to do something for God in return and that it was impossible to repay him. But I was aware that he was my master. And <laughs> it took some courage to tell all of my friends what mm-hmm. had happened. Mm-hmm. And I lost all of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? But, what do you know? But at the same time, th- that was the only choice I had. Mm-hmm. It was sad sometimes, and it was bittersweet sometimes, but it was infinitely valuable. and Because I sud- suddenly there was... A reality outside yourself yeah that was greater than anything Mm -hmm. greater than me Mm -hmm. certainly more important than any of the friends that i had or the life that i had yeah so i'm you know i moved out and i changed all my friends (laughs) i found a church you know i say i did all these things but really i prayed for them and they were given to me yeah but truth happened to me suddenly i was embodying truth so you jumped off the five-story building and you hit the ground yeah and, and i died <laughs> <laughs> quite literally yeah yeah so that that is the most exciting story i will ever tell mm. for mm. the rest of my life mm-hmm. there will be more exciting stories than that in heaven sure that yeah. that you and i will be sharing with one another <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> for sure i mean like you said somebody who is complacently going along with the flow who doesn't really care about truth who thinks truth is either nebulous or up in the clouds or it means confrontation and speaking the truth is like you know it's being that guy there's nothing really you can say they're gonna have to live that life until they jump off the five-story building and hit the ground right they're gonna have to bump up against reality really hard and be crushed by it unfortunately yeah there's no rational way to reach them right and so it's not like we can give a call to action here and then change a bunch of minds. Right. Because it's a it's a disposition of the spirit. Right. And, and unfortunately, in our culture, we have all become so indoctrinated. We've been lulled to sleep. We're literally under a spell. Hmm. But I think for any of us who, who even suspect that this might be the case, any of us who recognize those moments when our consciences are pricked by something and we... Don't respond to it, we're not true. Like, we all have those experiences. Mm. We should start there. Start by not affirming lies. Start by being true to your conscience. You know, try a week where you do this. Right. You know, just spend a week not necessarily actively proclaiming everything that you think is true. In fact, you might want to spend the week not saying much at all. Mm. I mean, that's something that I've discovered about committing to telling the truth that means most of the time I keep my mouth shut hmm. you know I, I even found that I, I wouldn't go to certain social events, even good ones, even Christian ones so to speak right. because I knew that in that context I would not be able to manifest myself truly right and and but that you know again this doesn't mean that manifesting how I'm feeling like if I go to a coffee shop and I'm s- for some reason really disgruntled, you know, it's not like, well, the, the true way to manifest yourself is to be really disgruntled with the barista. It's like, no, actually, because there's a higher truth, which is recognizing the dignity of that person and being submissive to that. So we have to, we have to conform ourselves and our attitudes to what is true, hmm. but paying close attention to our consciences and not violating our consciences, doing just that bare minimum, right. that's a place to start. And yeah. if we're willing to do that and pay attention, I think you start to understand how you are so easily corrupted by the mm-hmm. lies. Right. And also, once you start paying attention to this and start taking steps to fight back against that corruption simply by not affirming it, it's completely liberating. Mm. Like you probably suddenly felt utterly liberated, you know? <sighs> yeah.
1: Yeah. In, in the truest sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very liberated. Yeah. I, um, when you said that we're under a spell that really resonated with me, um, because it it really is that it's not just a cultural human thing Mm -hmm. and human corruption. It really is a spiritual oppression and it's effective Mm -hmm. and it taints every one of us. Right. Another thing you said that you you don't you you stopped going to social events. Well, because... c- certain social events. Certain, like, certain social like events.
0: When I when I so basically like you know if I knew that I I couldn't go there and be true. Right. I couldn't go there and truth be. <laughs> right. I wouldn't go because I wouldn't want to put myself in a position where I would have to affirm falsehoods, even if it was simply to protect my conscience. Right. You know?
1: Yeah. I hear some people say that they can't live around quiet. Because, mm. and they, they'll they talk to me like I, I have no idea what goes on in their mind. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll say, you, you don't know. Like, when I'm alone with my thoughts, bad things can happen. And they almost say it like they're taking pride in it almost. It's almost like right. their superpower or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah there's something yeah. incredible in my mind, and I can't <laughs> even harness it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it's, yeah. it's, but the thing is, is that what they're doing is they're openly admitting that they don't want the truth. Mm-hmm. The Uh, ironic thing about that is that there is something kind of extraordinary possibly going on in their mind, but they should pay attention to it and they should be alone with their thoughts and they should pursue that truth. It's it's dangerous in a sense, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but in a dangerous in a good way, right? It's uncomfortable in a good way. It's refining. You know, you put yourself under pressure in order to come from whatever worthless metal to Mm. the precious metal
0: and i think that's a great thing to affirm at the end of this conversation is that the point of this is so that we can have the richest lives full of joy like if you don't do this you will have no idea the kind of deep joy that actually grows out of this Hmm. the kind of brotherhood sisterhood that kind of fellowship It's like nothing else. You cannot experience all of the joy that no amount of pleasure, no amount of comfort can even compare to that. Hmm. And maybe it means being uncomfortable now and then, but the most valuable things take a little work.
1: Well, I would say to decide right now, decide today if you value truth and decide today if truth is more important than you are. And at least know what you believe. Know if you actually believe that truth is more valuable than your life.